Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Father, uh, we, as we kind of switch gears here uh, to sit and uh, listen to your word, uh, Lord, hear it uh, expounded, we ask that uh, your spirit would come, and Lord, that you would use this time uh, in a tremendous way in our lives. Uh, Father, cause us not just to be hearers of your word, but uh, receivers and then doers of your word. Uh, we ask this in Christ's name, amen. Uh, uh, thankful uh, to Josh last week for stepping in and taking us to Zacchaeus's house, uh, where, if you remember from last week, we found once again that Jesus' purpose uh, is to seek and to save the lost. Like that, that's why he came, that's why he died, why he rose. That, that's what he continues to do today uh, through his word and by his spirit. And so uh, just my prayer too is that even this morning uh, that maybe someone out here uh, in, our, in our congregation is sought and saved, uh, sought and found. All right, so this morning, we're going to back up just a little bit to get back where we were before Josh took us up to Zacchaeus, where we left off two weeks ago. And if you remember, Jesus had just given us that bar burner of a sermon uh, teaching about his return. What's it going to be like when he comes, the, the kingdom comes and he returns? And in the context of that cheat teaching about Jesus' return, Jesus then told a parable. He told a story, which brings us to our passage this morning. But, but before we, we read it, Y'all, this parable is so fascinating, not only because of its contents, which is really, really good, but possibly even more so because of how it's historically been taught and historically been understood by Christians. Um, like, like this passage really is a case study uh, in people taking something to mean whatever the heck they want it to mean. Uh, it, it's interesting because of all the parables Jesus taught, this is the one that is like the most clear uh, on its meaning. I mean, like, we don't have to pull out lexicons or do theological gymnastics to see Jesus' point. No, in verse 1, Luke tells us the point, right? And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Or if you remember the King James Version, I love the King James on this. It puts it, Jesus spake a parable unto them to this end. So what's the point? That men ought always to pray and not to faint. Have you ever felt faint in your prayer life? Okay, well, somewhere along the way, th this parable has been seen this way, that Jesus is teaching that his people are a, a, yes, a praying people, but they've turned it into, but if God isn't answering your prayer, then you're not asking right. And so you need to be like this widow. And if you cry out and frantically beg long enough, God can't ignore you. It's almost like the show The Voice, right? That if we, we pray eloquently enough or if we pray well enough, then we'll get God's attention. He'll turn his chair and he'll give us the desires of our heart, right? And I mean, it almost sounds kind of spiritual, right? To, to cry out and cry out to God. Um, and yet, all of that is actually a sub-Christian understanding. Actually, it's more in line with the prophets of Baal, if you remember from our summer series 
uh, hooping and hollering, right? Imagining that all of our, our fervor will somehow amass this prayer snowball that God cannot ignore and he has to give us the desires of our heart. That, that you know, they were so persistent. You know, remember they were falling out, they're cutting each other, um, but their persistence was delusional. You know, it's, you know, you can be persistent and delusional and that's a really sad thing, right? Um, one of the most quotable movies probably the past decades is uh, a movie called Dumb and Dumber. Probably heard of it. It's a comedy, but, but really at the heart of the movie, it's really a love story, a, a delusional love story. Uh, but it's a love story. Remember Lloyd Christmas, played by Jim Carrey, falls head over heels with Mary Swanson, right? And, and he loves her so that he goes on this epic road trip to try and win her over in Aspen, Colorado. And when he finally gets there and he works up the courage to ask her the question on every love-struck person's mind, he says, what are the chances of a girl like me and a guy like you getting together? And, of course, you can mix that up. And she responded with a real confused looks, like, uh, I don't know, one in a million, maybe? And her response would have been seen as just an outright rejection by most people, Right? Um, but not to the delusionally optimistic Lloyd, because after a long pause of thinking it through, he said, so you're telling me there's a chance, right? And so Lloyd kept fighting for Mary, kept fighting for her. Um, In the end of the movie, Mary finally more fully rejects Lloyd, and his response was classic. It's like, what was all that one in a million talk, right? Um, Lloyd was persistent, but his persistence was rooted in a delusion, right? Uh, It could not sustain him. All right. Well, that's not what this parable is about. Um, This is uh, that that if we pray persistently enough that God will give us what we want. No, no, that is delusional. Uh, What this parable actually teaches us is the one and only thing that can truly compel persistence, Uh, in our prayer. So we're talking about the motivation of a praying life. And so with that, let's go to God's Word, Luke 18, 1 through 8. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Well, Jesus said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. Well, for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is God's word. I want to just walk through this this morning uh, using two hooks to better hang Jesus' teaching of this passage. And so the first hook is just the parable itself. uh, And then the second hook would be the principles. What what is really going on with this parable? So first, uh, the, the parable, you know, Jesus opens up. This parable telling about a completely toxic judge who neither feared God nor really respected other people, which right off the bat tells us that more than likely this isn't happening in a Jewish context. Because back then, if you were a Jew and you had suffered injustice, somebody had wronged you, 
Um, you didn't go see Judge Judy at first. No, you, you felt if you ever had injustice, um, then you would go see the elders. You would talk to the elders. And then if, if they couldn't figure it out or if you felt like you were still wrong, then you could appeal it to not just one judge but a, a group of judges who collectively heard your case and who collectively rendered a ruling. All right. So furthermore, even since way back in the time, if you remember King Jehoshaphat, there were very particular guidelines put in place about who these judges were to be in Israel. Very detailed qualifications. Second Chronicles 19 lays some of them out this way. They are to consider what you do, for you judge not for man but for the Lord. He is with you in giving judgment. Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful what you do, for there is no injustice in the Lord or, God, or partiality. And, oh, oh, by the way, don't, you can't take bribes. That was part of their rules. All right, so right off the bat, <laughs> this judge possesses zero qualities of what you would call a good judge. Um, th- but he fits right in in the Roman pagan judge system, just as corrupt as he can be. And look, I, I don't want to belabor this point, but, but think, even some of the world's worst villains that we know of in recent decades— um, the most vile and evil people like Hitler and Stalin, as cruel as they were, they still professed a love for humanity, you know? Uh, so to have a judge who doesn't fear God nor care at all about his fellow man, and it is like no, no bueno at all, right? But then to make things worse, Jesus tells us about another person who's the, the polar opposite of the corrupt judge. We have this nameless widow And in the ancient world, the most vulnerable and thus most prone to oppression were were widows and orphans. And and they they were easy targets. They were easily taken advantage of. They were often political or often legal victims. You know, later in Luke, we find that there were a particularly evil group of men uh, described as being the devourers of widows' houses, right? Uh, You have a, a lady whose husband dies, and you have this group of men just come in and just, like, take advantage of her. Take all that she has. And so this is one of the reasons, of course, the Bible is full of reminders to remember the orphans and widows, to plead the widow's cause, right? Um, I remember being in junior high, learning about Ole Miss, and somebody was saying, I don't know if this is true or not, but the person told me that if you aren't in the Greek system at Ole Miss, that you don't exist as a student there. It's like, whoa. Um, and maybe so. Um, when the same way, if you were a widow, think about it, if you're a widow in a culture that values family above all else, you don't exist. You, you don't exist. Well, we don't know what happened to this, this widow, but we do know that she was done wrong. At some point, she suffered or received injustice. And within the pagan context, when the people, or when this happened, I mean, she had a couple of options. One, uh, she could try to bribe the judge, pay or gift the judge some things that maybe at some point he may rule in her favor. But this widow didn't have any money, and she didn't have a vacation home she could loan out to the judge. Uh, she didn't have anything, and so she opted for option number two, uh, persistence. Um, there's this uh, great story I saw this week about um, this. This happened years ago. Uh, this rancher out in, in um, <laughs> Powder Bluff, Colorado, who, when it came, y'all remember when you would have a, uh, a subscription to a magazine and the, it would run out, they would send you a letter wanting you to re-up and you send your check in and all that. Um, well, it came time for him to re-up on his National Geographic um, subscription, 
And when it came time, the National Geographic computer system malfunctioned, and instead of generating one renewal letter and sent it to him, uh, it, it generated 9,734 separate renewal letters. And they just sent them out to him. And uh, on the first one or two, you know, this farmer, he responded with, no thank you, don't really want your magazine. But after thousands and thousands of inboxes uh, requests, it, he broke. And he finally sent them the money with a note that said, I give up. Send me your Dagon magazine, please. Uh, well, like National Geographic, this widow didn't give up, right? If it's the squeaking wheel that gets the grease, then she could squeak with the best of them, right? And so she just kept going to the judge and kept crying out until finally, and y'all know how it happens. This is how our kids sometimes wear us down as parents, right? She just wore them down. Verse 5 he said, because the widow keeps bothering me, I'm just going to give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. I love the original, original Greek there says, I'm going to give her what she wants so that she doesn't blacken my eye. Um, that's, of course, could be taken two ways. You know, the New Testament's full of kind of boxing lingo. Um, he, he could be saying, this, this woman's going to knock me out if, she, if I don't give her what she wants. Or two, and probably the more likely meaning, is, uh, you know how when you don't get much sleep, or at least this happens to me, um, kind of dark circles around your eyes, you just kind of, you're worn out. That's what he's saying. He said, look, this woman is wearing me out. Like, she's bothering me in my sleep. She's bothering me at the grocery store. She's bothering me when I'm out with my friends. Like, if I'm ever going to get any rest, I'm going to have to deal with this lady. I'm going to have to give her what she wants. And so the judge relented and enacted justice for the widow. And that's the parable. Um, all right, well, what do you think might be Jesus' point in this? Uh, what does this mean for our lives? Well, here's our, here's our second hook. And, you know, this is, start listening now if you haven't started listening yet, okay? Just for the next, you can do it, 10 minutes. This is important because I don't know how many times this passage has been understood um, like this, that, that God is the unjust judge and we are the widow and so if we're going to get our prayers heard and answered, then we got to squeak, right? we got to persist. And so the sermons, you've probably heard, it goes something like this. If God isn't giving you what you want, you just keep asking, and you keep seeking, and you keep knocking. You get down on your knees, and you wear him out. And if, and if you keep praying God to God, God will at some point bend to your will and grant your desires. I heard somebody say, what type of perseverance are we called to persist with in prayer? Was the same persistence in which the snail reached the ark. You just keep going, right? Just keep going. And if you're doing it right, then your prayers will transform him from a hard-hearted God who's not giving you what you want to a compassionate and loving God. Okay? All right. If, if, if that's the takeaway from this parable, you just start praying, then uh, you've missed the entire purpose. Okay, so what is the purpose? Well, this isn't a parable of comparison where you know, God's the judge and we're the widow. It's not a parable of comparison, but rather a parable of contrast, right? So newsflash, God is the opposite of this judge, right? Whereas this judge is unloving, he's evil, he's ungracious, he's merciless and unjust, our God is loving, gracious, merciful, and just. And what's more is whatever God is, God is that infinitely, so our God is infinitely loving and infinitely merciful, infinitely gracious and just. And then, if you are in Jesus, then you too, we too, are the polar opposite from that widow, 
Remember, as far as the judge was concerned, she was a nobody. didn't even have a name. But church, if you are in Christ, do you know what your name is? You are the beloved. The Bible says you are God's elect. And what's more is not only does God know your name, but the Bible tells us that God knows like the number of hairs on your head. That not only is God infinitely aware of the pain and the suffering and the injustice like that you personally experience, but our infinitely powerful and infinitely loving God keeps track of all of our misery, collects every single one of our tears into a bottle, while also promising good and perfect justice to all who are his. Okay? In other words, the motivation to pray persistently isn't to wear God out. No, no, the the motivation to pray persistently is because in Christ we are the beloved, that we have a good, good Father. So God has elected and called and saved and bestowed grace upon grace upon you. You know what always confuses me? I don't know if this ever confuses you. Um, It is when, when critics of the doctrine of sovereign election say, well, if you believe that, that'll hinder missions. And if you believe that, I mean, if you believe that God is God who calls and God who saves, then what's the point in even sending missionaries out? And what's the point in praying if God is sovereign? And they say this doctrine kills evangelism and kills prayer. I've always been confused about that because if you actually look in Scripture, it seems to be the opposite of that, right? That sovereign election seems to be the dynamite that propels missions and propels prayer. Like, do you remember when Paul, remember when Paul was scared to get to death to go to Corinth? I mean, those people didn't seem like the churchy type, churchy type people at all. Do you remember what spurred Paul into mission in that city? It, it wasn't that they were a bunch of heathens. It, it was the reminder that God had people in that city who he had already elected, but who were just waiting on the gospel call. And so, not in spite of, but because of God's sovereignty, Paul went into Corinth, and God said, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, for I am with you. No one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in the city who are mine. You know, that meant that Paul was playing with how, like, he could not lose. You know, the, 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 the bumpers were up, right, in the bowling alley. Like, he could not, he was playing with house money, and the same is true of prayer. On the basis of our election, we have a claim on God that this widow never had with this unjust judge. You with me? You see this, the distinction here? When we bring our needs to our great judge, we are coming to a God who knows us, who cares for us, who loves us, and has already promised to give us good things. Okay? And so instead of hindering our prayers, this gospel reality should turbocharge our prayers. So the motivation isn't to change God. No, no, we pray because God is unchangingly good. And it's praying with the words of John Newton in mind, Thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring, for his grace and power such none can ever ask too much. Right? So that's the gospel motivation for regular, persistent lives of prayer. And, and yet at the same time we read this and questions always rise, right? Because what happens when we pray and pray and pray and nothing happens? You know, we pray for healing and our loved one dies. We pray for deliverance from a certain struggle or a certain pain, and yet we just stay in the throes of suffering. You know, what do we do there? 
I mean, here it says that God will, that God will give justice speedily to his people. He won't delay. So what's up with that? Well, I, I don't want to like sugarcoat this, but I, I do think theologically this is, this is how we walk through that. We, we learn that God is not only all good and all powerful, but he is also all wise. Which means that God is always ready to act on our behalf in the very best way possible. Which means to borrow from Garth Brooks, right? Some of God's greatest gifts are what? Y'all don't know the song either? Okay. Thank you, Gary. Sometimes unanswered prayers are some of God's greatest gifts to you. You know, God sees the full picture and he knows best. He gives you what you would want if you knew what he knows. Okay? And and then to timing. God's always criticized for his timing, isn't he? Right? Uh, But Peter gives us the answer with that. With with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. And yet we, we also find in 2 Peter that though God's justice may seem so slow, his deliverance so slow, yet when it comes, we're told it comes swiftly, like a thief in the night. So God's provision and God's timing is perfect. Um, you know, in response to God's promises, then we pray, right? We pray not just when we're in trouble, but we pray, and we pray not just on Sundays, but we pray regularly. And we pray persistently to our gracious God. And and that's what Jesus is getting at with that piercing question at the end. He says, when the Son of Man returns, when I come again, will I find faith on earth? And, of course, this is a rhetorical question. And he's not asking, will he find belief? Am I going to find belief? Because we know that even the, the demons believe. Lots of people believe. The demons believe and shudder. He's asking, will he find faith? Will he find people so changed and empowered by the gospel that it results in a praying life? And so what we find time and time again is God is God and we're not. And so the most sane thing that we can do, actually the most human thing we can do as a people of faith is pray, right? Is cry out to our God. One of the clearest marks of being in Christ is having a praying life. You know, Augustine famously said, when faith dies, Prayer dies. You know, prayer is such a, a huge indicator uh, for, for faith. And so this is really a call as we close out um, this morning to examine our own souls, right? Um, especially as theologically savvy Presbyterians. Um, and, you know, in light of Jesus' life and death for you, the question isn't, are you responding by reading Calvin? And are you responding by reading the Confession? Are you responding to the gospel by reading the Puritan paperbacks? No. The question is, are you responding in regular and persistent prayer? Speaking your needs before God, recognizing that He will give you what you want, what you ask for, or by grace He will give you something better. But either way, His grace is sufficient. And so this is a call to pray with your family. Um, it's a call. If you're wondering, like, what does it mean to, to be a Christian? Well, it means pray. To pray by yourself. If you're looking for something to do on Sunday mornings at 9.30, come pray. It's, it's me and a few other of our, our uh, elders and uh, older, older men. Sometimes some other members will come. Come pray with us. Pray for our church. 
Jesus tells us to persist in prayer, not because God isn't good or doesn't listen. No, no, we persist in prayer because God is good and because he listens. So, Westminster, the invitation is to cast all of your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, as we uh, come now to your table, we ask that you would uh, continue meeting with us and continue working through your spirit, just massaging the gospel reality deep, deep, deep into our hearts. Uh, Father, we ask that you would make us a a praying people, um, not trying to get what we want, but just because of all, because of what you've done for us, uh, Lord, may we respond in prayer. Um, And Lord, give us the grace uh, to receive um, the answers as you give them to us. Father, we ask that you would take uh, these common elements and that you would set them apart to be a means of your grace to your people. Now as we come to the table, uh, Lord, we thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his death. Um, We ask this in Christ. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.